Well, good morning and welcome to Rock Hills. We're so glad to have all of you here today, especially if it's your first time. It's an honor to have you here with us. We're a church that wholeheartedly believes that you can come just as you are. And we believe that uh, because we see Jesus interact that way with people all through the gospel. He meets people right where they're at with the love of God and the gospel. And so we're glad that all of you are here today, wherever you may find yourself in your faith walk, if you've been following God for many years, or if you're still trying to figure this out, we're glad that you guys are all here today. I want to tell you about one thing that I'm really excited about in our church community, and that, that's where we're going with our kids, because building a foundation with our kids is as important to us as anything that we do around here. Uh, Callie Singletary is doing a great job with our children's department. We've got uh, promotions going on as we speak where kids are moving up a grade and she's got trainings going on over there with them. So they're doing a great job. This is actually a picture of our summer camp where our students went to camp a few weeks ago. Thank you guys that uh, helped us make that possible for them to be able to go to camp. They had a great time and uh, We've got Lori now who's working with our students, and so I want to encourage you, if you're parents here, to get your students involved in our student ministry. Um, not only did they have a great time, but next weekend they've got a end-of-summer back-to-school pool party, and so that's coming up next weekend, 1 p.m. For more information about that, you can see Lori or Bill. Lori, will you wave your hand for everybody so they know who you are? And speaking of that, vertical students, middle school students, you can be dismissed and go to your class in room 20. Excited about what God is doing in our kids. Well, we're gonna we're wrapping up our series here in the book of Acts. Uh, we've gone through this in two parts, and we've looked at this journey. Really, Acts is the beginning of the church that Luke writes about, and uh, he accounts for us all of these details. And uh, really, in the last, the latter part of the book, it really focuses in on what's going on in Paul. And what's happening with him as he spreads the work of the gospel. And so that's where we're going to continue today. And I know I've learned a lot out of it. I hope uh, that you guys have as well. As I've studied this, I've gotten a lot out of it. And uh, I hope that you've learned something as well too. I really enjoyed last week when our own attorney, uh, Al Hasler, got up here and kind of gave us a glimpse into what it would look like in today's setting if Paul was on trial as we looked at his trial last week. I thought that that was a lot of fun. But the result of what happened out of last week is they look at Paul and they go, well, there's really nothing that we can continue to hold this guy for. But Paul has a special trump card, if you will, in a way. I mean, it kind of puts him in a longer situation. But he says, I want to appeal to Caesar. And Paul is in a unique situation because he is Jewish by birth and heritage, but he's also a Roman citizen because of where he was born and also his family line. So he's got a very unique situation that he has dual citizenship. So he's on trial by the Jews, but he's also looking now at being a Roman citizen. So he's able to say, I want to appeal to Caesar. So what that means for you and me, imagine, you know, you're just not paying attention to your speed. You're going too fast. You get pulled over. The officer's going to write you a ticket uh, and, or say, or you can appear in court. And you say, wait a minute, as an American citizen, I would like to appeal to the Supreme Court. And you have an option to delay the ticket that you just got and go have your case tried in front of the Supreme Court. Now, obviously, we can't handle all those cases that would be coming in, but that's kind of what Paul is able to do in this situation. He's saying, okay, I know you guys have brought these charges against me, and even though there's a lack of evidence, I want to go to Rome, and I want to be able 
to talk to Caesar himself. And so that, that is where we find ourselves as we get to the end of Acts. He's going to appeal to the Supreme Court. So they're going to load him up on basically what is a prison ship. I don't know if you guys have ever been driving across town or whatever, and you're right next to one of those unmarked buses, and you think, huh, an unmarked bus. And then you look up and you see the windows, have, you know, they're ironclad, and there's people looking at you longingly, admiring your freedom, because they're just being shipped from wherever they were being housed to the next place that they're going to be housed. And and that's similar. Here's... Here's what this prison ship would have been similar to. It was loaded up with about 250 prisoners that were going to be sent from wherever they were at to Rome. Paul is going to be one of those prisoners. And just an interesting side note as well, Luke is one of the guys who goes along on this because we can see as he writes, he's writing saying, we. And the experiences indicate that Luke, as he writes, was right there, which that's, that's a whole other topic. But I hope you have people in your life that no matter what seasons you're going through, they can say we, because they're walking with you through all of those things. Luke was walking with Paul through all of these things. As he's on this prison ship, lots of prisoners, they're going to go. It's not going to be smooth roads to the next place where he's going to be housed. It's going to be rough and stormy seas, But for Paul, this is just another page in his adventure that we've seen over and over and over again as he trusts God. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 27 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have devices and you want to go to Acts 27, you can do that. Or you can follow along with us in the scriptures on the screen. But I encourage you to read Acts chapter 27 this week as we get to the end of this account of the early church. And this isn't just going to be a boat story today. I hope that as we look at this, we're going to be able to see a little bit more clearly maybe how God views us and how we should view God as well. And so if you're here today and you've been in church all of your life, I hope it gives you a clearer perspective. But if you're coming today and you're like, I'm not sure where I stand with this whole God thing, or I've been out of church for a long time, I think that you're going to find a place too where hopefully today, maybe it's going to give you something to think about, where you can understand maybe from a little clearer perspective how, if God is there, how we should view God and how he can interact with our lives. So I hope you all find something in this today. So if we could go ahead and pull up the map, let me give you a little update on where we're at. So this is the journey that we're going to take. And you guys know I just put up maps so that I can use a laser pointer. But uh, we're starting down here in Jerusalem. And this is where this trial has been. And then they're going to go over here. They're going to load up more people over here. And the idea is that they are going to be able to sail around and avoid the winds as they go around here. But the winds get very contrary and blow them through here, and then especially as they get out to this area, ideally they would like to be able to go through here and then skip right over there and up to Rome. But we get a huge storm that blows them way out into the open seas when they get over here. So this is a lot of what we're going to see in Acts 27 is going to happen right here when the weather gets really nasty. It actually gets so bad that it tells us in Scripture that they can't tell day from night. Right, Because the storm clouds are so dark and it's so stormy that they don't know if it's daytime or nighttime. So we're going to begin, we're going to pick up in this in Acts chapter 27, verse 20. It says this, Neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. After we had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them, all the other people on the ship, and said, Men, 
you should have taken my advice. So he told people before we even got to this scripture, hey, you're taking a bad route. We shouldn't go this way. We should just stay housed at this little island. But they said, no, we're going to press through. We're going to get you guys to Rome. He says, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep your courage. Watch this. Because not one of you will be lost. I want you to remember that part. Because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me. So it's important to note here, these aren't a bunch of believers that are on the ship. It's mixed up of all kinds of people, right? And he's telling them, I serve God. Here's what God told me. He said, this angel told him, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So Paul is making a very bold statement here. He's telling them, God told me we're all going to live. No one is going to die. He even goes on to say it twice. He makes it two times in this statement. Nobody is going to die. So he wants to make sure we're all on the same page. God said, you guys are all going to live. It continues in verse 25. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So good news, bad news here, right? He's keeping it balanced. You know, you're, you're on a family vacation. You take off. You know, you're, you're flying 10,000, 12,000 feet, whatever, over the mountains. And all of a sudden, the uh, pilot comes on. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for flying uh, aboard these airlines. We've got some good news and bad news for you today. Which one would you like first? Flight attendants, go ahead and take a poll. Okay, you want the good news? Everybody on board is going to survive, to which you all cheer and rejoice. But that's not the kind of thing you like to hear from the pilot, right? All right, and the bad news is uh, prepare to crash. We're about to crash in three minutes, all right? That would be a terrifying flight to be on, and that is the situation that Paul and this boat, this ship, find themselves in. Good news, bad news, you're all going to survive, but get ready because we're going to crash the ship in the middle of this storm. So we're going to skip down to verse 30. After he says this, in an attempt to escape the ship, the sailors let a lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors uh, from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. All right, so let me pause right there for a second. Paul is saying, Okay, hey, you sneaky guys who are trying to sneak off in the lifeboat there, if you leave, you're going to die. But at the same time, Paul also just said, Every one of you are going to live. So, what's he saying here? Let's continue on in verse 32. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away just before Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and without and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. Watch this. He says, you need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair on your head. After he said this, 
He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it in front of them. He broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food for themselves. All together, there were 276 on board. So again, we see Paul has told everybody they're going to live. He says it again, but he also tells these guys, if you don't eat, you're not going to survive. So if we could get the map back up there, Bill. We've got uh, this island out here of Malta, right? This little island. They've blown way out there. This is the island that they're going to end up crashing on. Way out there. I'm sure it's beautiful, but none of us would like to be shipwrecked out there. So they realize the island's out there. They're going to set sail for the island of Malta. But before they can get to it, they hit a sandbar. And that's when things begin to fall apart. This is the instructions that they're given. If you can swim, swim. If you can't swim as the boat is falling apart, go ahead and grab a piece of wood and hope you float towards the shore. Right? Your plane's about to crash. If you have a parachute, jump. If you don't have a parachute, try to grab somebody who does. That's the best advice they've got, right? But remember what Paul also said. He said, none of you will die, but at the same time, now they're giving these instructions. If you want to live... Here's what you have to do. You have to swim or you have to grab a surfboard and make it in to the island. You've got your responsibility to do that. He's telling them, do what you can do to survive. Even though I told you, you're all going to survive. So as I read this, as I was preparing for this message, there was something that really stuck out to me. And I encourage you guys, as we always do, I want you to be students of the word, read the Bible, because you're always going to see new things that stick out to you. You're like, wow, I never saw that part before. And something really stuck out to me as I read this chapter again that I'd never really seen before. And I I think that it's a question that we all have. And honestly, it's a touchy subject that I kind of hesitated to address because we've probably got different views on this, depending on maybe what background you came from or what experience that you have. And honestly, this is a debate that has been going on for thousands and thousands of years, and it's not black and white, and it may leave you with more questions today than answers. But the question is this, as we look at Paul's adventure that he's in the middle of here in the middle of this shipwreck, but also as we look at our own lives. When it comes to the life that Paul was living, when it comes to the life that you're living, here's the question. What is God's role and what is your role? Is God keeping those people alive or are they keeping themselves alive? Paul said, God said, all of you are going to live. And at the same time, he said, Oh, and you need to eat, and you need to follow this command to not cut down the ship, and you better swim good or grab onto something, right? Are they keeping themselves alive, or is God keeping them alive? Paul said no one would die. He said, I believe it. At the same time, he says, if you want to survive, you have to do this. When it comes to your life, your family... The way your family is going, is God the one that's making your family thrive? Or is it because you're busting your tail to make sure your kid gets their homework done and your marriage stays healthy? When it comes to your job, is it God who blessed you with that job? 
Or is it because you went back to school and you worked hard to get that raise? It gets especially touchy if we talk about finances, right? Is it God who blessed you with those finances? Or is it because you worked hard and you earned that money? Is it God or is it us? I think that it's, like I said, it's not that easy to resolve and there's many viewpoints. But we have to ask ourselves, is God in control? Or is this a matter of me trying to be responsible, trying to be a good person, trying to make wise choices? And what's the relationship there? Where does that mesh? Today I want to give you four images, four views. And it's really a simplistic way to look at it. It's probably more complicated than this, but hopefully it's going to give us some perspective. I'm going to start with a very high view of God's role and a very low view of our role. And then we want to transition all the way to a very high view of our role and a very low view of God's role. So the first image I want to give you is the Shakespeare view. There's Mr. Shakespeare right there. Uh, If you want a more theological term, this is meticulous providence, but we're going to call it the Shakespeare view to give us kind of a picture of this. In this view, God has a plan laid out, and He controls every single detail of our lives. God is to history as Shakespeare is to Hamlet, right? If you're to watch Hamlet or read Hamlet, you would look at that and say, well, look at all these things that Hamlet is choosing to do and the choices he's making in his life. But the reality is Hamlet only does what Shakespeare has written out for Hamlet to do. So in this view where we have a very high view of God's role and a low view of our role, God is in control of every detail in our lives. And there's mystery here. We have to ask ourselves, how can God be in control of every detail and us still have any responsibility for what goes on, right? I mean, how can I be held accountable if it's God wrote it all all into place anyway? I mean, let's say, for example, I just choose, I'm, I'm not going to even prepare my messages anymore because God's already got written out what I'm going to speak and I show up on Sunday and the message is horrible, Right? Well, it's not my fault. It's God's fault, right? Because He's already put every detail into place, and I don't have any responsibility for that. The shirt you wore today, God already chose that you were going to wear that shirt. The parking place that you parked in, every single detail, God has already chosen those details within our lives. The tension here is how can God allow some of the things to happen that happen in our lives and still be a good God? If He's the one that determined everything that would happen, how can we look at God and go, okay, I I get that. You determined everything that's going to happen. Here's the second view. It's this, the ship captain. Theological term for this is active providence. In this view, God has a plan and works with us in our lives. His relationship to how he works in history and in our lives is like that of a, sh- uh, a captain to his ship. So, since we're on, on traveling illustrations here, imagine, imagine you get to go out on a cruise, right, with your family. It's the captain of that ship, that cruise ship, that is going to determine when the vessel 
will leave, when it will set sail, the course that it will take, the speed that it will go, and where it will end up. As a passenger, you don't have a say in any of those things. The captain determines those things. But you do have a a limited say in some of the things. You choose whether you're going to sleep in or get up and go to the breakfast buffet, right? You choose whether you're going to go back to the buffet again for a second or third time. Right? We make those choices. You choose whether you're going to spend the afternoon down at the pool reading a book, and maybe you'll even put on some sunscreen this time, right? You choose those things, but it's the bigger picture that the captain determines all of those details with us having a limited amount of freedom. God is sovereign and in control of the big picture, and we have free choices to a limited extent. God doesn't have to answer to anyone in this perspective. His plans cannot be overridden. Some challenges here is this can get a little bit messy. What is God doing in all of this? Is Jesus going to intervene? Does there need to be an intervention with with Jesus coming in? How can pain serve God's purposes in the midst of this? How can God be in control of the big picture And still allow us to make some decisions when he knows we don't make the best decisions sometimes. What if while on the ship, I choose to go grab a wrench and throw it into the engine? Right? I mean, if I've got some freedom on the ship. The third view that we want to look at is the king view. We can call this the free will providence. In this view, God has perfect knowledge of what is going on and occasionally intervenes as history unfolds, but there's much more freedom here, much more than you had on the ship, because now you live in the kingdom that the king oversees, where you've got much more freedom to do what you want. Like a king to his subject, the king's rule is sovereign everywhere that the king's rule is recognized within the king's kingdom. He can be anywhere, anytime, and his will will be obeyed there where he is. But the truth is, the king doesn't get out much. He's not everywhere all the time. He's just in certain places at certain times compared to all that he rules over. You have a lot of freedom here. You get to choose what you're going to do for good or for bad. If something tragic happens, he's a good king He can show up with resources. He can show up with health. He can show up with protection to serve us. But the truth is, his interaction with us common folk is probably pretty small, very limited. Questions that we see here. How can God give us that much freedom and his will still be accomplished? Doesn't he promise to be more present and active in our lives than this? Are, his, are God's resources or abilities limited as a king's would be? Those are questions that we have to ask. The fourth view that I want you to think about here is the president. We'll call this dynamic providence. And I went all the way back to George Washington because I know if I say the president, it's automatically going to put you on one side or the other. Whether you're thinking about this president, the last president, or the last handful of presidents, uh, you know, it can bring up emotions in us. So let's just take it all the way back, right, to, to George Washington, where hopefully we can kind of all be on the same emotional page. The image of a president here 
is that God created the world with many opportunities for growth. But ultimately, he risks failure. There's no guarantee of success because even though the country is established, he has left the keys in our hands for us to do as we are supposed to do. He's the president. He's there to ensure freedom, but not to take freedoms away from us. We have the the ability to make our own decisions. He has power, but only technically does what the people have elected him to do. And it's limited in what he can and will do. His influence ultimately should never be to interfere with the freedom that we have. So the question that arises here is simply, what choices are you going to make in this life? Because God leaves it all up to you as he stands back And watch his history unfold. And then one day will judge us. But in the meantime, it's on you. We're introduced to these two extreme ends. If you will, the the presidential view and as well the Shakespeare view. We're introduced to those back in Acts 17. You may remember Paul encountered the Stoics and the Epicureans. Now the Stoics were people who, much like the Shakespeare view... They believed that every detail of their life was already determined and that they were just basically a victim of whatever happened because whatever will be, will be. Their view was life is hard and then we're going to die. And that's it. And we don't really have much responsibility because it's all just going to happen. On the other hand, the Epicureans... They were the YOLO people, right? You only live once, so get as much pleasure as you can and make those choices that are going to please you in life. That was the Epicureans. It was all about the choices that they would make. In 2018, here in our culture in the U.S., if you look at us, we lean much more to the side of the Epicureans, right? We want our freedoms. We want our choices. We just want to be happy, right? We lean much more to that side. We want to do what makes us happy. We want to be what, I mean, we tell our kids things like this, right? You can be whatever you want to be. And that's not really true, right? I mean, we want them to fill out their full potential. But that's not necessarily true. There's limits to our humanity, There's limits to our own personhood. So what I want to get to today is that the way that you view God is vastly important because it affects the way that you live your life. And as we looked at these four views, I'm not asking you to pick one, right? And some of you are already thinking, okay, I vote for number three. I vote for number two. I like the king, right? We sing a song, All Hell King Jesus, right? So that must, it must be the king. Or you, some of you are like, can I choose a fraction? Can it be like, you know, 3.7 or somewhere in there? I'm not asking you which one you pick. I'm asking you, how are you going to live your life based on the way that you view God or the really the way God views us. How does it affect when you leave here and you live life on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and all throughout the week? How does it affect your life and your choices when you go to work, when you go to school? In regards to God's presence in your life, how do we respond? 
Do you approach the stress that we all have in life? Because things go wrong in all of our lives. We face stressful things. We all have bills. Do you, do you approach those things in front of you each day with a sense of uh, pa- pa- pacifism? Uh, where we react to what happens in our lives, but we really don't have much responsibility because we're just going to go with it? Or do you approach the, the things in your life with a huge burden? If you don't get it done, nobody else is going to get it done. It all depends on you. Sometimes I think the way that we think God is in our lives, we don't always live that way. So I'm asking you today, how do you live your life based on God's relationship, how He views us. I believe that the truth lies somewhere in between. If we take this one through four, I believe that it's somewhere in the middle. As we look at the Scriptures, it's a mystery. It's a mystery not to be a cop-out and say, I don't have an answer for it. But the truth is, I don't understand everything. As we look at this, the Bible describes God's sovereignty and His power as something far beyond what we can comprehend. But he also lets us know that we're supposed to choose this day whom do we serve. And he lets us know we've been given responsibilities and tasks and opportunities and choices that we are to make. Why would God command us to do things if we didn't have a choice to obey or not? And why would he promise to strengthen us if we already have the ability to do it on our own. You see, this mystery lies somewhere in between. In the middle, God created space for this beautiful and mysterious relationship with Him. And as it unfolds, I think it's probably more messy than neat as we try to understand it because we don't have great perspective. But the truth is, God is at work in all of our lives in every single detail. At home yesterday, um, I needed to mow the grass. It had been a few weeks, and it was starting to get a little bit high. So uh, Nate always loves to get involved, and Nate wanted to help me mow the grass yesterday. So I said, sure, Nate, uh, you're welcome to come help. So if we, we got a picture here. I think if you'll pull up that picture. So if you don't know Nate, uh, my adopted son here, he is completely visually lacking right? There's nothing there. So that means for him to help me mow the grass means it's going to take at least twice the time, right? And it means I'm going to have to go back and fix what was missed and, and what didn't get done as well. As Nate mowed, he didn't get everything done. We've actually got a short little video clip if you'll play that one, Bill. Okay, turn left. Turn left. But he did a great job. Y'all give Nate a hand. He wants to hear you clap for him. <laughs> he didn't get everything. But do you think I scolded him for that? Do you think I said, come on? You know, is that the best that you can do? No. I helped him. I walked with him. I showed him as we went along, how to do that. And yes, it took longer. And yes, I had to go back and fix things. But you guys understand, and I don't say this to pat myself on the back, it brought great joy to me as a father to be able to do that with him. Now, 
I know it's a lot deeper than that example, but I think that's how God interacts with us. As we say, as we make the choice to say, God, I'd like to be a part of that. I think God steps in beside us as a loving father, as he placed life before us, as he placed tasks and opportunities and relationships before us. He's given us responsibility and he's given us freedom to make the right choices and do the right things. But ultimately, it's about an invitation to his kingdom and he's right there with us saying, turn left. Turn left. And he's right there with us, helping us push as we go along. And there is a day coming. There is a day coming when even out of our best choices and efforts, God will come and redeem and fix all the things that in our inferior abilities we didn't get quite right. God will come and redeem those things that have been broken. But in the meantime, he gives us those opportunities to be a part of the kingdom of God and see the kingdom of God flourish. But don't be mistaken. Until that time, you and I, we're all blind kids with power tools, right? They can't quite see what's ahead and we've got more power and ability in our hand than we probably should. But there's a heavenly father that I believe oversees all of it as we take each step, as we put everything out there. Mowing the grass with Nate. I don't know what all life has ahead for him. I pray the very best for him. But I know this, this was just a tiny speck in all the pieces of his life that God is going to be putting together. And as a father, I want to cheer him on. And with every choice and opportunity that you have when you leave here today and when you go to work tomorrow and students when you go back to school next week, with every opportunity that you have, I believe that you have a Heavenly Father that is cheering you on with each step. I was reflecting in all this about how I ended up here in front of you guys here at Rock Hills and shared some of this with you guys before, but As I reflected about this, I I thought back to, I guess, late 2014 when we really felt like we're supposed to be in San Antonio doing ministry there. Tiffany and I talked and we prayed and we made a choice to take a step of faith. We didn't have to do that. We made a choice to say we're moving to San Antonio to take an opportunity that's in front of us. We chose to do that. As I made that choice, I met a friend at the church that we were at, and we kept in touch here and there, but I didn't see him for a while. As one door closed and we were praying about, well, what is the next step for our family? We're going to make a choice about what the next thing for our family is. In the time of doing that, I chose, I'm going to pray for the next 50 days. And just see what God will open up. And I made a lot of choices. Knocking on doors, applying for jobs, seeing what I was going to do here or there. Trying to to pick my way. And in the midst of that, that friend that I had mentioned, he made a choice. 
to call me up and say, hey, I hear you're kind of looking for a church. Why don't you come try out Rock Hills? Bring the family over. I said, okay, sometime within the next six weeks, we'll come by and visit. Well, within that six weeks, I didn't know which one I was going to do. I just kind of randomly picked one. I made a choice and said, okay, this week we'll go by Rock Hills and we'll try it out. That just happened to be the same Sunday that the previous pastor, Dave Lance, made the choice to tell you guys, hey, we're praying about moving back to Michigan. Those choices just happened to align. So in the midst of the next days, I continued to pray as I'd made the choice to do. Unbeknownst to anyone here about the choice that I had made, Al Hasler made the choice, just happened to be on day 50, to call me up and say, hey, would you consider coming on the team here at Rock Hills? And I I could go on all day about the choices that even led up to that first choice to move to San Antonio. Choice after choice after choice after choice, interwoven with different people's choices that have all led to this point. And as I look at that, I can say without a doubt, I've made all these choices, but as I look at that, I can say, how can I deny that God's hand was in every choice that I thought I was making along the way? I can look back at my life and see the choices I've made and realize it was God all along saying, turn left, turn left, turn left. It was God leading me. So to leave you with an answer that's absolutely unclear, what is God's role and what is your role? Here's my advice to you. I want you to make the choice to love God and love people like he commanded us to do and watch what God does in our lives. You as an individual, you as a family, us as a church, if we'll make the choice each day when we interact with others, when we interact with our family, when we interact with God, to say, God, I want to love you and I want to love others. Make those choices. God gives you the freedom and opportunity to do that. But all along, God is in the midst of every detail. And I want to tell you, God has a good future for what he is doing here in this church. I'm glad you made the choice to be here today. You made that choice to be here. You could have slept in. At the same time, I don't believe it was an accident that you're here today. I believe that God wants you to be a part of his community and all that he's doing. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you have a love that never, ever, ever gives up on us. It's far beyond what we can understand or comprehend. And your love for us never gives up. Lord, I thank you that you give each one of us opportunities and choices to be the person that you called us to be. Lord, and that you are patient and kind and that you redeem and you can clean up our messes. Lord, and I thank you for everyone here who may feel like you've given up on them and I want to encourage them, Lord. God has not given up on you. The mess that you have left behind you, God can still redeem. He is still in control of everything in our lives. Lord, I thank you that you sent Jesus to set things right for all of us, to redeem us. And for some of us, 
It's no accident we were here today, Father, because you want us to come to that beautiful place of surrender where we say, okay, God, begin this work in me or start me over, refresh me. Father, forgive me. If that's you today, whether it's the first time or the thousandth time, I encourage you, just take a moment and thank God from the high place that He has in all of our lives that He is at work in every decision and choice and and opportunity that we have. Lord, we surrender all that we are to You. Thank You for sending Jesus to die for us and to take our place, though we don't deserve it, Father. You have made us new creations. Lord, I pray that you're leading us, those who are in the beginning of their journey, maybe even just started today, and those of us who've been walking with you for generations. Lord, we need you. We need your wisdom and guidance. In Jesus' name, amen.